Okay, welcome to another episode of Morality Python Radio, and we're adding another one to the Student of the Serpent series. Um, we're going to be talking about Indian Carpet Pythons, um, Morelius Belotomacapi, and we have a special guest with us, Mr. Justin Tulander. I think you should have from, to give his uh, resume. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure. Also, like, also, this, is the, this is the best we could find. I mean, like, I don't. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I don't sorry. think we tried very hard. Right the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. <laughs> I will yeah, say he did, it is he did really write good. the book on it. It, it is good that he works for like two cases of sweet, sweet DDP. <laughs> like, you know, and then that's all we have to do to get him to. I haven't received those yet. So, I, you know. okay. <laughs> soon. He's waiting. Coming <laughs> soon, I promise. <laughs> All right. It's a good deal. Cool. Okay. So, yeah, we're going to be talking about inland carpets. We're going to go through the natural history of, of them and uh, what they're all about. Um, and, uh, you know, Justin also breathed inland carpet pythons. Mm-hmm. So uh, we can get his perspective there. I don't... <laughs> I don't know who else breeds them, Nick. Who else? Yeah. Anybody else in the U.S.? Um, I think a couple people have produced some. I know uh, Will Philippek has a good collection of them. Um, and then there are those random people them. that like run into clutches, right? Like I know yeah. Lon had one two years ago, yeah. I think. There's not an overproduction. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not a ton of people working with them or producing Have them. you seen uh, – have you seen a, a, a level or a rise in the level of interest in them? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, they're probably the most sought-after thing that I've produced. So that's, you know, a nice thing when something you produce. And I'm pretty lazy at putting up ads and things like that. So, you know, I just assume people are going <laughs> to break, break down my door looking for my snakes, you know. But, yeah. It's, uh, also, you're like us where it's like <laughs> it's the most sought-after thing that I've produced that I'm allowing people to take from me. <laughs> Other things are mine, and you may look at it. Like that is, yeah. I mean, that's always the best part of breeding stuff, right? Is keeping the whole. And (laughs) man, from this last year's production of Inlands, there's killers in there. Like, yeah, uh, the male I held back is fantastic. So, a few others. So, what have you noticed? What? How? How have they? Like, are they? Is the is the color in? Like, what is what is it that you're looking for in, in them when you're holding them back? Yeah, I think originally I really liked that bluish, uh, you know, color and, and kind of the more faded out uh, side patterns, which enhances that bluish color. So uh, that's kind of what I've been shooting for. And it seems to be kind of coming along in that direction and you know, more reduced patterns and, and things like that. And they're looking pretty good. But, you know, this is only the second generation or maybe third generation that I'm, I've produce so you know still still got a little ways to go before we see anything too crazy i guess that's the the downside of uh selective breeding is it takes many years especially when the snakes take a few years to mature and you know between Mm -hmm. seasons so yeah i i thought i thought they were just going to be like easy automatic pilot every year and so i didn't hold many back at first and and then all of a sudden I wasn't producing them for a little while. I'm like, oh man, I should have held more back, you know? So that's, that's always the trick is finding that balance of how many to be working with. And mm-hmm. I think I have a pretty good group now. Um, and 
I'm focusing on the one kind of our, our line where we had an unrelated male bred to a skull filled line female and uh, kind mm-hmm. of selectively breeding those. But nice. I, I do have a, I, I um, have a female from the, the other line. What's the other line? Mog. The Mog, Mog or Mog. Mog. Yeah. yeah. Mog, Mog. Um, it's, yeah. So <laughs> I thought about kind of throwing those together and, you know, bringing them into the, the AAR line as well, but I don't know. I haven't done that yet. Is that, um, are we still at the point now where it's like we have, we have those two separate lines and crossing the streams is bad <laughs> or has we got, have we gotten to the point now where very few people actually have the pure line set and everybody's kind of starting to mix around here. Yeah. I, it's hard to say. I know, I, I don't know for sure. I, you know, I haven't kept best track, but I don't mm. think people are uh, bringing them, together too much but i don't know i don't think it matters too much i i imagine they probably all came from similar areas originally mm-hmm. you know that's the hard thing is you know you don't have locality on them or anything so yeah it's hard to know where they originated and i think after a certain without any new stuff coming in i think after a certain point it's gonna get kind of muddied uh, eric kohler and i were talking about this with hollow mm-hmm. pythons and because we have we've had a couple of customers between the two of us we're like, I'm going to get one from you and get one from Owen because then they'll be unrelated. It's like, well, <laughs> it's like, um, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not, cousins, not so sure, I guess. I'm not so sure about that. Like, you yeah, know, they yeah, would I mean, be different, but yeah, there are probably a few, you know, different lineages out there, but it, you know, I don't know how well they've been tracked and where there's mm. kind of that, you know, it's so hard with the Aussie stuff just because right. of the, you know, uh, sketchy past or, or ways that they came into the country and things, mm. but I don't know. I, I mean, they're here and they're being commonly bred, so I don't know, you know, there's, but yeah, we didn't get a lot of that information uh, okay. in the beginning. So, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So we're going to go through just, uh, the, I guess basically we're going to talk about the natural history and then um, oh, yeah. you know, re- reproducing them in the, in captivity, what they do in the wild, uh, you know, how that translates into keeping them in captivity, you know, uh, yeah. sort of if somebody wants to replicate what would be going on in the wild. Not that you can make nature in a box, but, you know, uh, <laughs> you know you can sort of get there. <laughs> also, how they feel about you personally, you know, and, you know, <laughs> all that fun stuff. So they're 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 a medium sized carpet, uh, mm-hmm. I guess, compared to the. To the to the rest of the carpet pythons, um, I, I would say that they're kind of one of those underdogs in the carpet python complex, um, and I think it's one of those species that you have to see in person, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I, I think it's hard to to capture uh, and and see that they're not just gray worms. <laughs> I imagine they're <laughs> super difficult to uh, sell when they're babies. If you thought jungles were hard. Uh, um, <laughs> Well, when I first saw, you know, even pictures of the adults, like it's really hard to capture that subtle, you know, gray and blue undertones. Mm-hmm. And so you see them and you're like, oh, that's kind of a, you know, dark looking inland or uh, coastal carpet or something. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, ah, it's cool, but, you know, I have coastal, so I don't know if I need those. And then you see them in person, you're like, I was very wrong. <laughs> those are very different looking, <laughs> really cool. And they're calm as can be. And, yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I think yeah. what the average uh, so, size is, yeah, 
probably a bit smaller than most of the others. I think carpets typically are around, you know, five, six foot average size. And these guys are like, what, four and a half, five um, foot. So, yeah, a little smaller. It's because I haven't gotten any yet. Give me, give me some time. Maybe, you know, maybe five, <laughs> five to six and a half feet for the, you know. Uh, for the big girls. Adults, you yeah. Know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I know a lot of people compare them as far as temperament with uh, with, with bread lie, and um, mm-hmm. but bread lie have a tendency to get a little bit bigger than that. So <laughs> this is an alternative, and yeah, <laughs> with some of them, they do have they do have that red, not like a bread lie, but they do have some red. I know the one I have has a lot of red uh, yeah. on it, um, but. Uh, and you know when you look at some of the ones in the wild, some of them just have. I mean, look at the cover of the complete carpet python book. But uh, we'll get into all that. But taxonomy, I know that's our yeah. favorite thing. But uh, <laughs> in your opinion, Justin, where 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 do you feel they fall? Yeah, so I mean, it it looks like there could be two distinct lineages that are kind of currently in uh, Metcalfi you know, currently under inland carpet pythons. And, and there, um, so there was some genetic work done by C. evaglia, um, mm-hmm. which was a continuation kind of from the um, Taylor thesis, <laughs> the the infamous Taylor thesis that we always talked about with the first edition <laughs> of the carpet book. So they kind of took that on yes. and, and their primary focus was to identify where things originated so they could prosecute, you know, smuggling cases and things like that. They could use the genetics of the snake and say, we, you know, based on its genetics, it came from here. And so, you know, they kind of uh, mapped out quite a few different individuals. Okay. So they found um, three or four, I think they had three or four um, individuals. Yeah. Four specimens that were kind of grouped together and they were separated to some extent from the main group of inland carpets, right? And between them were the jungles and northern coastal, that that group. Mm-hmm. So unless they're all the same, you know, like from from the northern coastals all the way down through the inlands, you know, down into South South Australia, all that stuff, if it's all the same, then that's a thing. If not, then it looks like there's three step separate groupings and so i imagine if you know if you're breeding things that's probably a good you know rough outline to go by as these three separate groupings right right so the the uh inland carpet pythons proper are more you know located in in the uh murray darling basin uh so um i'll the hardest thing I think is drawing a line, you know, where you, where you stop seeing one and start seeing another. And, you know, they may be kind of a, a progressive thing, but there does appear to be kind of a border and a boundary. And you can tell the, the ones we're calling Flinders or Gammon ranges carpets that, mm-hmm. that grouping, uh-huh. um, they're more red. You know, they look like a cross between a Brettles and an Inland, right? They have a lot okay. of that, like the one on the cover of the second edition of the carpet book. That one was <laughs> right. from the Flinders Ranges. So okay. it's got all that red and yellow. And typically the the more, you know, the northern normal Inlands are that dark 
black and kind of grayish back color. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they might have a little red kind of infused in the, in the, uh, bands, the darker bands, but for the most part, they're pretty much like, they almost look like an axanthic carpet, right? People right. Look at it, is that an axanthic? Right. But that's just the normal look of the inland carpet python. So phenotype is one thing. Now the nostril is another potential uh, diagnostic indicator between the two. Um, the, the ones that were, you know, the flinders, gammons, those have the nostril kind of in the center of the nasal scale, whereas the inlands have the nasal, uh, the nostril up kind of on the edge of the nasal scale. So along the border. So, and that, the, the, uh, um, flinders, gammons, uh, animals, they share some, I guess, uh, at least originally thought they shared a lot of genetics with these uh, southwestern carpets, the Imbricata. And okay. so they were kind of thought of as maybe a radiation of the Imbricata or something. So, but, but the um, analysis by C. evaglia doesn't really show that. That doesn't really bear out with, with their analysis. So it's hard to say. I mean, <laughs> I guess it depends on what gene you're looking at and, mm-hmm. and, uh, to, to, to see, you know, kind of the ancestry, but they, they used uh, the cytochrome B gene, which is commonly used to kind of differentiate uh, species or taxa. So um, for what it's worth, that's kind of how things broke down. So now the, the boundary, so what they did that the, the three or four animals that they showed that were grouped together, that were kind of these gammons, two of them were kind of over, one was down in the gammon ranges um, okay. and it was the, uh, Depot Springs, South Australia, which is in the gammon ranges. The other one was at Goiter Lagoon and Bobby Munga, <laughs> which are fairly close <laughs> together. They're kind of just a, they're a bit further North, kind of where Queensland meets South Australia, that little corner of South Australia meets Queensland kind of in okay. that little corner area. Right. And then Covington mine, which is clear up North, um, you know, a bit further south from the the little saddle that where the um, what's that called the the bay there um, between like the northern territory and the Cape York Peninsula that okay. Carpentaria Basin that area Carpentaria so south of yeah. there yeah so uh, let's see uh, Cannington Mine is probably similar let's see what's close to um sorry i should have had this ready but um sorry, we'll deduct it from your yeah. Um, yeah, grade later <laughs> so um let me see how far you know kind of up that is um it's maybe around the same height as uh Mackay. it's just kind of south of mount okay. isa and Cloncurry, south uh, east of Mount Isa. Okay. So pretty far up okay. there. Right. And, and, and like the Dejara, those, mm-hmm. those kind of carpets, that's kind of from up there. So that's why I said like a Dejara carpet would fall in on, you guys were talking on carpets and coffee. That's why a Dejara <laughs> carpet would kind of fall in line with those Gammon's flinders. So it's kind of a, 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 t- a narrow band going from all the way down in South oh. Australia up okay. to the Gulf of Carpentaria, you know, not quite that far, but, you know, up, up there. And there have been some animals found near Mount Isa that share that same red, you know, phenotype and really mm-hmm. cool looking animals. So, um, 
And then over, you know, far further east, that's kind of where it's hard to figure out where the border is, you know, where the uh, gammons type ends and the normal inlands begin. Because the animals at long reach look kind of like that same phenotype, the reds and, and that kind of thing. But then if you go further um, east, you know, over uh, to Agathella or uh, Roma, I think, I think they, the inlands kind of come up that far. So the, you know, the, the river systems kind of have that North, South general, maybe mm-hmm. north, uh, East running direction. And so that's kind of maybe how they got up there and, <laughs> and maybe why they're closer relations to the Northern coastals, because they kind of go Northeast and that's their roads, right? Their roads are meaning the, the river systems, right. And the trees, you know, that they hang out in, um, kind of run in a Northeast direction. And so maybe that's why they share maybe some background genetics with the Northern coastals and jungles. But so I don't know, is that clear as mud? <laughs> that's yeah. <it>. yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, sure. I and don't, they, don't they, Oh, sorry, Alan. I was, uh, I was pulling up a map and, and following along <laughs> yeah. as you were talking. And I'm like, I'm like, uh huh, uh huh, Roma. That is yeah. east. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. But it, I mean, that's the trickiest part is trying to figure out kind of where one ends and one begins. But also with the uh, drainage basins, like there's a drainage basin that kind of fill, fits in that middle section where it could go either way, you know, and it's hard mm-hmm. to say. And it looks like the drainage system that we attributed to inlands actually probably should go to the gammons type carpet. So um, the rain, I, I'd always, I already want to change the range map in the second edition of the <laughs> carpet pipeline. <book. laughs> Forget this book. <laughs> like, Start again. Yeah. <laughs> that, that line between the two should probably be further south than, than it is. So that's going to. I guess, you know, to maybe help with the discussion, if you have the book, it's on page 99 of the book, um, the uh, the range map showing the, these two populations. And so those ones um, like around Wilcannia and Quilpie, those are all typical inlands. But if you go north, kind of mm-hmm. further, the, the few dots north of those, uh, north and west, those are probably should be in the purple color rather than the red color. So. I think that line is somewhere just north of Wilcannia and Quilpie, uh, or maybe around Quilpie is the line. Yeah. And don't the, they intersect some with uh, diamonds too, don't they? Isn't it? Yeah. I, what was that? Well, they're just yeah. making it Park. difficult now. I know, right? They, they, <laughs> so that was another kind of uh, cool discovery on you know, doing the research for the book is we found some um, pretty close uh, association with the northern coastals in the area of Agathella and maybe even some of the southern coastals down, you know, somewhere around Bolin, uh, Queensland and things. And there's actually a picture on page 101 of what we think might be like a uh, an intergrade between a Metcalfi and a McDowell um, oh, that's weird looking. Yeah, right. It doesn't look really like either. Yeah. <laughs> it looks kind of like Yeah, it's like orange next. almost. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. At the time, kind of cool turn the page. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and so there is, there does appear to be a pretty substantial overlap with the, the coastals. Um, and then 
in uh, there were there were a couple areas down um, where you could see some overlap with diamonds as well. Um, I'm failing on where that was. Let me see if I can find that real quick. Bagoon, but, yeah. What's it? Bagoon, Bagungo State Forest, was it? Something like that. That's probably a that's what I, I'm sure all the Aussies are yelling at their screen or their phone right now. Scott knows our number. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, Wow. Or, uh, no, uh, uh, Fitzroy Falls. Hmm. I thought I, I saw know. that on uh, page 102. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ahead of it. I read this just, just a, a few minutes ago, but of course it's out of my, it's just, my yeah, head. Fitzroy but, Falls. Um, Yeah. yeah, yeah, Fitzroy Falls, um, pretty close. Yeah, the Hunter Valley region, that area. There, oh, Mudgy, there, Mud, Mudgy, <laughs> Mudgy, Mudgy. Uh, okay. Yeah, on page one hundred two. Yeah, they talk about. Or we we have there. There was a inland carpet python and a diamond python, both observed in Mudgy, New South Wales, and that was somebody's Instagram. I think a Constanzo. <laughs> <laughs> posted that on their Instagram showing mm. that uh, there was a diamond and then, you know, not at the same, not on the same day, but like maybe months apart, like, Oh, here's mm. a diamond crawling through my yard. Oh, here's an inland crawling through my yard, you know? So, and there's yeah. also, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, a few potential uh, intergrade looking diamond, uh, inland Diamonds. looking things. So. Diamond something or other. Got it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I guess <laughs> that's the fun with taxonomy is this is not a static system. You know, it's always changing and things mm-hmm. can move and crawl and <laughs> make their way, you know, and expand and contract and kind of move with things. The other contract or the other thing that kind of complicates things is human encroachment and mm-hmm. you know, people building canals or, you know, ditches into areas where they weren't weren't going before or or planting trees and watering trees in areas where they weren't before giving kind of animals an inroad or a um, place to, to survive, you know, the harsh environment. I think, you know, as it, it, before human settlement, uh, they probably were restricted to these tree line creeks, but now they mm-hmm. can live in somebody's attic and get, you know, all they need and, and survive. Somebody uh, puts up a barn. They're out. good. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of observations are actually made in, you know, people's attics, but they did find that those animals that are living in disturbed habitats moved less frequently, probably mm-hmm. because there's already supply of rodents that are also associated with human <laughs> habitation. Uh, mm-hmm. And so they've got their food source. They've got a stable environment in an attic where they can get the warmth or, you know, that they need to kind of withstand the colder temperatures or the, cool areas to withstand the hotter temperatures, you know, so they um, make use of these things very well, just like other carpets, but, um, but overall, I think human interruption has been detrimental to them where they're pulling out trees, you know, to farm the land uh, in that area. So associated with the rivers in the Murray Darling basin, um, there's been a decline. And actually, if you go on uh, Atlas of living Australia, they show like over time um, some charts with, you know, with the 
observations of inland carpet pythons and it kind of goes you know there as more people find them and, and make uh, observations of them um you know that that kind of peaks what was it around like 99 2000 somewhere around there and then it's kind of steadily declined after that so i'm not sure exactly why but yeah. Could um could the islands be like almost absorbed into an integrate zone almost if like they're kind of sharing a lot of room with diamonds on one side and a couple other things and we're kind of losing ground here? Is it potentially that we're gonna get kind of shrunk down even further or even bred out? I, I doubt that just because they they're so wide ranging. Mm-hmm. I mean, the areas of interlap are kind of maybe a small band, uh, kind of on the northeast of their range, and then in the southeast. But that uh, Great Dividing Range, that mountain range, mm-hmm. that's that's a pretty good barrier to gene flow. Right, it keeps okay. them from mixing it, it, until it kind of tapers off and gets lower, kind of up, you know, in those areas that I mentioned before. That's where you see them kind of mixing and you know uh bumping up against each other and uh maybe potentially integrating there so gotcha but for the most part they're they're kind of isolated and protected um unless the coastals just went nuts and and uh took over migrated further south (laughs) and west (laughs) yeah or they they blew a hole through the mountain or something i mean <laughs> uh, we're gonna tunnel under it you're gonna tunnel it through the mountain why <laughs> we gotta breathe those in there. <laughs> wipe them out <laughs> coastals must be everywhere uh, yeah so okay and then awesome. uh, let, I, I would I, I think we should talk a little bit about, well, we did touch a little bit on their environment, but they're really from sort of a harsh environment. I mean, it gets really oh, cold yeah. and then it gets really hot. Uh, mm-hmm. and so they're kind of, uh, I would say that equates to making them uh, good captives, if you will. Yeah. Bulletproof, for sure. Yeah, they, they tolerate <laughs> a lot of air on both sides, either too hot or too cold. Uh, so, yeah, they that makes them very well suited for... Um, captivity uh you know not that we should uh you know hit them with extremes no. but yeah. you know they can they can tolerate a lot of uh keeper air in, in some ways there so but yeah they're they come from a tough environment and um they sh- you know they're they're well adapted to there but of course they're they're finding places and they're taking advantage of of things like um rabbit burrows like and, and rabbits mm-hmm. and different you know things that uh weren't there before but they can make use of now um like i said before addicts and things like that you know so they're they're pretty adaptable but um in you know in their wild environments you can find them in tree hollows um i've heard that they they like uh, nesting parrots and so they'll go in and you know eat the fledglings and then kind of hang out in there in the (laughs) hollows and where the parrots nest and so they have their food supply as well as a shelter site um Hmm. they uh you know have been found in in rabbit burrows and other burrow systems especially when it's hotter uh, that helps protect them from the the high heat and the low humidity um you know that they can experience and in the summer they're primarily nocturnal they're not going to be found out in the day as as commonly as in the winter time yeah right it's just too hot, right? Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's just getting up there to the hundreds, right? 
Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> very, very hot there <laughs> over, over hundreds. Yeah, for sure. In some, some places, and then it can drop, you know, 30, 40 degrees and be down in the seventies at night or eighties at night, you know, so it can drop quite a bit. That's the, the deserts are notorious for that fluctuation, you know, and they've done studies to show that inlands are very good at maintaining the heat that they've, you know, built up during the day through their posturing, they can kind of coil up and re- maintain that heat until they want to have some activity. And then that Mm -hmm. heat kind of slowly dissipates until they get too cold for activity. Then they can kind of coil up and wait till it heats up again. But, uh, the, the larger adults are, are better at maintaining their, um, thermal, uh, regime as compared with like a juvenile animal that, that gets colder much faster. So they're more active kind of twilight, not very late into the night, but the adults can kind of mainly, especially during the summer can go, you know, all night long and, and be active down in the seventies or, um, colder temperatures. So, um, going for like breeding and stuff like that, do we have to drop them further than you would a normal carpet? Like we're looking at almost bread light temps. I mean, I think uh, they definitely that will will be a stimulus that they'll respond to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I I guess I hesitate to say it's necessary because uh, you know they they can be found pretty far north, uh, but you know where mm-hmm. they're in the desert, they do f- have those nighttime drops that are pretty dramatic. Um, mm-hmm. And so you know, also in the in the book, the second edition of the. Complete carpet python. <laughs> shameless plug. Um, shameless plug. Shameless plug. <laughs> we have uh, temperature and, and moisture graphs from um, you know different localities in the wild. So mm-hmm. Mount Isa, Agathella, Dubbo, and Arcula, South Australia. Um, so those four different localities, we have the temperature graphs on page one twenty three. So you can see, you know, it gets up into the you know low forties for highs, average highs, and then down, you know, as low as 10 degrees, uh, during the winter time as, as an average, uh, cool, uh, temperature. So yeah, they get down in the single digits centigrade, which is what, uh, about, you know, 30, 40 degrees. So they get down close to, to freezing. Yeah. Um, and then they get up, you know, close to what, 100, 110, something like that in the, the daytime temperatures not that they're out in those temperatures but that's their environment gets that right and then it's very dry there's very little rainfall throughout their uh, habitat and most of the water courses are actually pretty dry unless there's flooding in other areas they might have they might be running and another huge uh, detriment is probably the um kind of control or taking over of the water um and diverting it for crops and things. And so that mm-hmm. results in these water courses that are almost permanently dry because they're either damming up the water to use it, you know, somewhere along the way. And then everything below that gets dried out and eventually has to move on or die. So yeah. that can be problematic for them as well. Is mm-hmm. it? Um... Cause I would imagine if they're, if they're preying upon birds or whatnot, wouldn't birds be very, you know, uh, coming there, you know, as the rains would come yeah. for the limited time that they would come and water course would fill up and, you know, mm-hmm. 
have you seen on planet Earth many, many times? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, they they definitely have a seasonal um, feeding activity. You know, with the especially with birds, where mm-hmm. birds will come into those areas when there's you know seeds to eat. You know, they're not going to come in there if it's dried out and nothing to eat. So, and they're not going to breed probably right. if there's if there's not much to eat either. Same same with the centralian or the brettles. You know, they they also have. Uh, that similar cycle of, you know, boon or bust, all the birds will come in and, and breed. I heard something about uh, brettles, like if if there's grass, you know, a, a lot of grass on the ground, then they're probably going to be up mm-hmm. in the trees because the birds eat the grass, you know, the seed, grass mm-hmm. seeds and things. And so mm-hmm. that means there's probably more birds around. So they're hunting birds. But when the okay. grass is all dried out, that's when they're probably going to hit you know, head to the water court, you know, permanent water courses or, or rocks and things like that, looking for mammal prey. And so you very rarely find brettles like on the road, like you mm-hmm. find Stimson's pythons all the time out there. Cause they're out just cruising along, you know, on the ground looking mm-hmm. for rodents and the brettles are kind of seasonal. Sometimes they'll be out looking for rodents, but a lot of times they're in the trees looking for birds. So Yep. If it's grassy, look up. If it's dry, you know. <laughs> right. Somebody write that down. Is that why? <laughs> is that why it's? Uh, it seems like I, I could have this wrong. So maybe I should ask you this: Is it? Are they a harder carpet to find? Oh yeah. Uh, in the yeah. wild. Yeah, yeah, they're they're yeah. much less frequently found than like the coastals or the jungles or things like that. Yeah. Hmm. They're, um. I I was I was looking at a few YouTube videos before this of wild coast or wild inlands that were found and um one guy found you know he he had herped uh, this area in in central New South Wales for quite a bit and that was his first mm-hmm. one that he found he says they're very hard to find and very rare rarely Jeez. found and he found it like in the winter time you know when he wouldn't he wasn't expecting mm-hmm. he he looked in the summer a lot but then he found one in right. the winter it was, you know, associated with some rocky outcrops. So similar to diamonds, they'll kind of move habitats depending on the season. So when it gets cold, they'll move to the more thermally stable, rocky environments. And then Almost when it's like hot, they can okay. move out into the, you know, water courses and trees and things like that where, yeah. So depending on the season, okay. you're, you're going to maybe have different ways of looking for them similar to the brettles. <laughs> wow. I know you. I know you have ticked them off your list, but have you been in their area? In the area where they've they are from? I did. I did go looking for them one night, and we we kind of made okay. our way through kind of their eastern edge of their range. We when we did that trip in 2016 with my three oldest kids, we drove from Sydney mm-hmm. kind of inland up through, and we kind of clipped into their range a little bit, and then headed out to the coast as we got further north, but. Yeah, looking one night wasn't very successful. <laughs> so, you know, we can't all find one night. Oh, uh, uh, you, you know, know, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you got to give credit where credit's due. <laughs> actually, um, I was actually reading because you wrote in this one about the club. Uh, yeah. But my 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 book, I'm like, yeah, there you go. So, yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, so and you know so, I, I think it, it year to okay. year it's gonna it's gonna depend you know on the year I don't know I was talking to to my buddy uh, Pat May out here he's a Utah herper and he he had one year where he found eleven uh, milk snakes and five ringneck snakes in Utah which is 
like like finding wow. a unicorn basically <laughs> really <laughs> in a single day like whole you know just insane you know so the planets wow. had aligned and everything was great but that was like a good water year you know mm. it was several years ago and so um you know i think seasonally like this year has been or the last couple of years have been pretty crap for utah herping but i think with all the snow and rain we're getting this year uh, they don't tell him that he's coming out there great. soon like, <laughs> yeah, you know so it's I'm, been I'm hell we're not gonna find it. shit i'm sorry you guys bought those plane tickets like oh <laughs> <laughs> so i mean like any you know so any environment you're gonna have better success when the conditions are right for you know their prey animals to breed up and and for them to get enough food to reproduce and, you know, increase their, their numbers in the wild. So yeah, if you're, you're going to Australia to look for them, you probably want to go after a good, you know, wet year, like, like right now, you know, yeah, maybe give yourself two in nights a, in a year or two, it. it'll be prime for looking for inlands or, or uh, the Flinders gammons animals. There's also that, like you go out gotcha. herping and like stuff is moving and you just kind of yeah. almost feel it. Like, Things are going, things are moving. Mm-hmm. We got a better chance of finding something. And then those other times you're driving around, you're like, so this has been three hours. And <laughs> yep. so far, all we found was like that one goat. That was cool. Yeah. Like it was. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they they know their environment well and they know mm-hmm. when, you know, it's it's going to be best for them to be moving and looking for food and or, or when it's best for them to just hole up and wait for better times, you know, and, and you don't want to find yourself, you know, flying across the ocean, (laughs) but you know, it's hard to plan for that. Of course, you know, unless you live there and you can see, (laughs) oh, the rains are coming through, I'm headed out, you know? Um, but, uh, with, you know, with that, uh, day in Arizona, Eric, when we were herping out in the desert and all of a sudden a little rain came through and also a little rain. Yeah. It was a tiny, yeah, it was just a small storm, but yeah. all of a sudden everything started coming out and yeah. finding coral snake yeah. and a few different rattlesnake species. And yeah, that was a good night. <laughs> so, that was happens. a very good night. <laughs> it, it always seems like right after a rain, like uh, you have a deluge of rain for like 10 minutes and then the sun comes back out everything it's how we found the yeah. frilly that's how we found yeah. like you know um what was it the was it texas that like that was the night we found the gopher i think after we got soaked to the bone <laughs> running back from after we found that oh coach yeah, yeah yeah oh the rocks the rocks uh-huh. are falling off the- yeah 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 <laughs> and, and we found that the snake that you said yeah i see it and then i drove well, away you know, and- we're gonna keep doing this for the rest of our lives are we <laughs> <laughs> what what do I gotta hey, do? Do I gotta go find the snake now? Like <laughs> it's the other hand from the Owen Pelly. You know, you gotta, <laughs> if you're gonna take the good, you gotta take both here. Yeah, have the balance and the force. <laughs> that, that's that's how it'll stop. Is that's I'll right. find you that snake and bring it to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Very good. Uh, let's talk uh, a little bit about uh, the reproduction. Um, they breed in the spring in the wild. I, well, first we should say that there's not a whole lot of info on them breeding in the yeah. wild to, to yeah. start with. So mm-hmm. I guess it's sort of all sort of putting little bits of information together and kind of piecing it to what uh, sort of makes the best sense. But for the most part, they breed in the springtime. Yeah. I, and I, and I guess it probably depends on where you're finding them. If they're further North, they may, may not adhere to that as much, you know, and, but it probably mm-hmm. is more dependent on, you know, uh, the, the their food cycles you know they're when mm-hmm. the prey is going to be available and and that's usually when you know spring comes and so if they're ready for 
if their babies hatch when the little lizards hatch, that's a good time, you know, to mm-hmm. be a baby. And but yeah, I think yeah. Uh, for the at least what we've what we've seen in captivity is they tend to breed as things warm up. Um, but that said, I mean, in captivity, I've, I've got females that are gravid that should be laying in a month or so, you know, so that's pretty early, uh, <laughs> but again, they're, they're in captive environment. They've been, you know, a few generations in captivity. So, you know, that's, that, it's hard to make inferences based off of that. Yeah. Know? Didn't Chuck breed them and it was like a big mm-hmm. thing on the MP forum that it was like. They only breed yeah. in the springtime, and yeah. then he's like, "Well, they're on eggs, right?" Wait, now. wait, Chuck <laughs> just be like, "I'm gonna stir this pot and walk away." Yeah. Like, Thank you, Chuck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, that's that's you know, that's how we discover stuff, right? Yeah. As you try, if you just went, yeah. oh, they weren't, they're not going to breed till the spring, so I'm not going to put them together. You know, yeah, you got to yeah. be a student of the serpent. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, hey. nice. roll credits. Yeah, it was a nice. Yeah. <laughs> So um, I, th- I think okay. in captivity um, they can they can be bred along a similar you know python typical python schedule if you're you know cutting feeding in the in the fall and then you're cooling them and you can put them together and cool them together and and they'll breed and you know produce eggs along with your jungles or coastals so I don't think that it's a firm and fast rule with mm-hmm. them just like pretty much anything in captivity you know ball pythons you can get eggs pretty much every month of the year so just depends. I think, right. I think it's one of those things where we're not so, looking for it. Like we, we, we have the set idea of when season is in our yeah. brain. Um, and it's almost like the, unless we're looking right at it and, you know, we might be feeding, so we might miss an offswell or something like that. So mm-hmm. if anything's outside of our normal Python breeding season, that's like labeled as harder where it's yeah. like, well, maybe if we kept them together for a really extended long period of time or in larger <laughs> cages where they can kind of stick to their own things and breed whenever, like, I, I wonder how many species could go at different times. I mean, uh, yeah. Ryan Young's white lips were laid, hatched and feeding before my eggs ever hit the ground. Yeah. So it's like, and I would have pulled nor in normal seasons. I would see everybody else getting their eggs I'd be like, well, I missed it. And you'd separate the animals. So Mm -hmm. how many times do you think we've almost shot ourselves in the foot with that? Yeah. Yeah. And how much does the outside influence the inside? Yeah. uh, Yeah. You know, influence that from where you're from, you know? I think where Ryan's from, it snows all the time, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's very cold, very soon, very early. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I think uh, it's, it's hard to... Obviously, in the wild, they're they're gonna they're gonna depend more on the environment, so they're not gonna be breeding when it's you know f- close to freezing outside, right, right. <laughs> and right. probably in a way. Right. But you know, at the same time, it's it's warming up a bit, but they're pretty inactive during the winter months. So you know, yeah. during the springtime, they're out seeking mates, and so obviously, it's gonna take a little while once they find a mate to you know find a female breed, mm-hmm. and then you know the female. Will produce eggs a few months you know later so they're yeah they're going to be laying their eggs more in the closer to summer than to spring so that's at least what we would think from (laughs) their environment you know (laughs) so with that being said when you're breeding them are you looking for specific signs that would tell you to, to put them together as a, is there something that you some observation that you noticed that you said, oh, okay, I'm going to put these together earlier mm-hmm. than I thought. Um, 
honestly, like in the beginning, I think I just kind of kept them together year round until a female oh, was okay. obviously gravid gotcha. and I'll mm-hmm. pull the male. But lately I've been, you know, in, putting the male in kind of along with the other pythons and they go along with the same schedule, gotcha. you know? So, um, I, there's, there's a gotcha. hundred ways to do that. You know, I think you could try several sure. different ways and have it be successful. And I know, um, people have gotten eggs, you know, earlier and later than me. So, you know, it just depends on how you're, how you're set up. And like you said, the external, uh, temperatures and things in your area, and so in Utah, in northern Utah, you know, we get pretty cold pretty early. And so, you know, they may have those triggers come earlier. And then uh, so they, oh, it's time to breed. And then I'll kick on the heater when it gets too cold. And then, okay, now it's warming up. So, you know, who knows uh, what they're what they're sensing. Gotcha. But, yeah, I, I don't think we have to adhere to a strict spring breeding schedule in captivity. They're not as uh, uh, influenced by that, say, like the diamond pythons. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they could be, but uh, yeah, I guess Chuck maybe showed us differently. But he's also in Southern California, so that could be similar to a more northern <laughs> climate, you know. And and I think, like you know, they may be adaptable and they may be able to go earlier if the conditions are right or if it's warmer outside or things like that. So I think a lot of things play play into that when you're talking about a range that's several you know a couple thousand miles or like wide that's that's a a big difference between you know the ones they have some room far south as well as well as the ones in the far north so Mm -hmm. yeah but yeah i guess what i was saying is like it seems like to me that you could probably play with some of the other subspecies but diamond pythons seem to be like they, a they have more to locked go in. down to a pole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Have an, at least have, have a period yeah, of inactivity. This year. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, yeah, they, they're kind of more restricted. Their, their range is a little more narrow compared right. with the inland carpets. Well, inlands probably have the, one of the widest ranges of any carpet, you know, um, maybe Imbricata have a, hmm. a more east to west range but uh inlands have a pretty big range not that they're found everywhere in that range they're they're mainly restricted to the water courses or you know areas where there's permanent water or or lakes or something like that but yeah yeah i found it interesting when you're looking at the maps and the more complete carpet you're to your point right you're sort of seeing that they're pretty much going up the whole other side of the great dividing range where you have those Mm -hmm. you know diamonds coastals you got the intergrade zone there and then you got the northern coastals and the jungles and yeah um yeah interesting um i i remember i think i can't remember the guy's name but uh so uh, was what podcast was that uh the awesome wildlife Wildlife show Uh didn't he talk about that they were in a breeding ball similar to diamond pythons yeah Daniel Saliba is that the is that who you're thinking yeah, of? He he did an interview. Yeah. yeah, that was that was one of my yeah. favorite interviews on that podcast. That was fantastic. <laughs> I listened to that one three or four times, like trying to get it straight. Uh-huh. But yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I mean they're they're similar to other 
um, more temperate pythons where they can have multiple males potentially courting a female. Now, you know, that's not an mm-hmm. absolute, like with diamonds, that's a pretty absolute rule. Males typically don't fight, but once right. in a while you'll see males fight. So I don't think in captivity I'd keep, you know, a bunch of males with a female necessarily. Um, similar, right. sa- you know, same thing with uh, inlands. Um, and, you know, not that we have southwestern carpet pythons, but they're the same way. You know, all those ones that are in the south part of Australia have, you know, the males are typically um, less aggressive towards each other. They're more tolerant. They'll kind of wait their turn for their, you know, their time with the female. And they're kind of peace and love uh, pythons, whereas the ones up north are like rock and roll, man. <laughs> beat each other up. and <laughs> Peace and love, man. My woman, Not I'm here. Kill you. Yeah. Got to be care- more careful with those northern carpets. They, they just don't do well. Those males will beat each other. Uh, uh, Nice. Okay. Um, And uh, I guess uh, so if they're in, well, again, this is in the wild, but if they're breeding in the spring, then they're probably laying eggs like the midsummer, I suppose, around that time. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Probably right in time for their food to also food hatches uh, then yeah then or, you know prey first then reds or yeah know, little lizards hatching or skinks out yeah those kind of things so but i mean they they're they can usually take a, a, a comparatively large meal mm-hmm. um it, mm-hmm. you know they that's kind of been recorded in the wild to some extent where they can handle pretty good sized prey items and so um you know, they take advantage of what they can get. So I, I imagine it's kind of slim pickings, you know, and they'll, they'll just tackle whatever they can try to try to overcome and, and fit down their gullet. But, um, yeah, it's a harsh, harsh life out there. So take what they can get, <laughs> but, but introduced right. animals like the, the rabbits and things probably help them get to bigger sizes these days as compared with maybe historical times. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe they're some of the prey items uh, historically were large like a rabbit as well, but the invasive rabbits have mm-hmm. really, you know, helped them. They, I think they said what 60, 70% of um, uh, fe- fecal samples they found had rabbit hair in them. So okay. they were commonly feeding on rabbits um, and, you hmm. know, the introduced mice as well. Uh, or not fat, they don't factor as heavily into the diets unless they're hanging around disturbed areas. Then they'll have more mice in their diet. Okay. And then, so the one thing that I hear a lot of times, and I guess this happens when you have uh, uh, carpets that are uh, not as nippy, I guess, if you would say, but uh, yeah. that the babies are hard to get going. What's your experience with that? That was going to be my next question. Yeah. I, I, I was, every once in a while, I'm pulling my hair out with a clutch of bread light because they're like, no, yeah. no, the mouse is scary. <laughs> and then like, after a month, they're like, death. And I'm like, okay, here we go. I'm like, thank yeah. you. So. Yeah, I, I found a similar thing with the inlands. Like, yeah, some, sometimes they're a little more reluctant to to go after it and you know i'll usually uh leave one in there with them maybe alive and and usually similar to other carpets if you use kind of a larger hopper you know ish mm-hmm. something that's moving a little more that'll that'll elicit a feed response a little better um this year i had really good luck and i'm not sure what to attribute it to uh, but they they all <laughs> started feeding pretty well i still have a few holdouts and they're all males the males are maybe 
that peace, love, uh, attitude mm. <laughs> carries over their feeding, <laughs> but I, I still have like three males that are a little problematic. Actually, I, I switched up and tried, uh, rat, um, mm. pink with one of the picky males and he went, Oh, that, I like that. And he took it right away. So, mm. you know, they just maybe switching it up and, and, you know, thinking about it in the wild where they're eating a lot of birds, maybe trying some quail or things like that might be uh, something to, to try with a maybe a picky hatchling. Mm-hmm. I know I, I did feed some um, hatchling quail to uh, some inlands back in the day, and that got a couple of them going that were a little bit holdouts. So, yeah, just uh, do okay. your tricks that you use, and, and and maybe you know scenting with a lizard or something like that would help too, or or feeding a feeder lizard might might stimulate them further. Because right. I imagine that's the prey it. item that's taken advantage of, especially for juveniles. Right, skink, lizard, um, bird, yeah. kind of the the the. So you're like your typical usual suspects, typical yeah. carpet python, trying to get them going type of yeah type of yeah. thing. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. It's, they don't they don't hold the they don't hold the torch to uh, Aunt Teresa to try to get going. No, <laughs> well, some, some individuals do. I'm finding blackheads are much worse than both of those groups, man. Those uh, are, really, it's uh, always the pretty ones. Yeah, yeah. I just want to tear my hair out, but yeah. Well, and I have very limited experience. I got two hatchlings, so I need I need a bigger sample. But size. those two hatchlings that suck. might drive me completely <laughs> insane. Yeah, <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, Lucas had a little okay. bit better luck than I did getting his. I'm dad. a little, I'm a little <laughs> terrified. Yeah, that I'm yeah. like, I want the rough scale python babies. I want the rough scale python, and I'm going to get them. Be like, I hate these babies. Like, I'm really worried that'll be what breaks them for me. Is the <laughs> yeah. the, the babies, and I'll babies. just hate them again. Like, yeah. I've heard, I've heard tease feeding is the way to go with those. Just keep heard, annoying them until they bite it and, and it's all hooked it. in their teeth. Yeah, yeah. that or yeah. birds is what I've heard. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Good luck. <laughs> well, we have to get the expert. So, yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Then we have to get the hatchling second because we've gotten the eggs before. And that ended in soul crushing sadness. I but, hear that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Soul crushing sadness. I know what I said and I stand uh, by it. Like it's, uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Uh, so, are, are, and you said you're breeding them this year, uh, Justin? Yeah. In yeah, this? I think I've got a female that that's looking gravid. She she should be laying soon. Um, I uh, um, hopeful for another female or two, so I could have maybe three clutches at the most. But yeah, I'll probably okay. get one. <laughs> you know, you never know. This time of year, I feel like you guys have talked about. Thank you. Does, pessimism. Like, that, yeah. does everybody do this? I think it's universal. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to get crap. Yeah. I get oh, yell, crap. I I've got too much. <laughs> like, damn it. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I get yelled at for walking around my house going, none of them are breeding. God, I'm terrible. And then later being like, God, there's so many babies. Why did I do this? Yep. So, yeah. um, I guess I, I would throw this in there for people that might uh, be new to carpets, right? So tell me about like how, what's your approach to setting them up? What do you do to uh, to set them up? Adults, and I, I said, what do you do for yeah. babies? The the adults, I I uh, I like to set up uh, my, my adults with lights, so for the heat mm-hmm. source, um, and then the lights go out, and they have kind of a pretty good drop at night. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. 
you know, 10, 15, 20 degrees. So they're down maybe in the seventies, depending on the time of year too. Like in the winter, they'll get down maybe into the fifties or uh, low fifties. So, you know, they, okay. they tolerate it pretty well, but then in the day the light kicks on, um, for at least, you know, a few hours a day. I've, mm-hmm. uh, in the summer, I'll usually have the light go off in the middle of the day because it gets, you know, too hot otherwise. And so I just mm-hmm. kind of cycle the lights to provide an appropriate thermal gradient so they can heat up in the morning and then, you know, maintain that temperature and then maybe heat up just before lights out. So, uh, but, gotcha. um, I, I, you know, like to give them places to climb and, and I usually, I like to do the, uh, roof hides. I think mm-hmm. those are a night carpets okay. in general, like the roof hides, you know? And so yes. I actually, yes. <laughs> I use my 3d printer to print some little, uh, uh, rails so I can slide a, uh, you know, like a little kit cat litter pan or something and then cut a hole in it so they can have a little roof hide, but. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's been a nice way to set them up. And then I like, you know, fake rock work and stuff. So I'll try to put a yeah. you know, fake fake ledge or something in their cage and they okay. tend to hang out there too. So yeah. cool. Are you putting anything in the hide? Like are you putting any kind of like moss or anything or ripped up paper or anything or just plain? Uh, I, I I haven't, but I mean it, it might you know, it might be a good thing. I think I, I cut the holes too low, so they just push everything out. You know, and so um, I, I think I should have put the holes a little higher so, you know, they could have something to retain, you know, something. But, you know, a, a humid area wouldn't be a bad, bad thing for them. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, especially if you're going to be doing that, maybe give them some choices. But I will go in there and just kind of spray them down once in a while, maybe at night. Uh, I don't know. After listening to Ron St. Pierre and, you know, the dew Dew. and things like that, (laughs) I'll go in and kind of give them a light misting and at different times, you know, during the the summer or the, you know, spring or something. But I I imagine with inlands, they're probably far more tolerant to the drier conditions, although they, you know, will find microhabitats inside a log or inside a burrow that should have higher humidity than, you know, outside, of course. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, in the desert, like anybody who's slept out under the stars, you know, you get kind of that dew hit and sometimes you'll wake up and there'll be a layer of dew on top of you. You know, it burns off pretty quick when the sun comes out. But, Mm -hmm. you know, with that temperature drop and the, you know, you hit the dew point and you get moisture forming, you know, forming on the plants and the ground and everything. So, yeah. That's the beauty of reptile podcast, in my opinion, is like these every once in a while, you'll you'll stumble across these gems of information that the person that's <laughs> yeah. talking nothing about the species that you're right. interested in. Or but it or whatever, and yeah. you're just like, that yeah. is genius, you know? Yeah. So like, yeah. tip, step outside your comfort zone every once in a while yeah. so that, you know, maybe you'll learn something that you can apply to the species that you keep, you know? Exactly. Um, yeah, I've been really uh, looking into stuff with Womas and found it or was working with uh, Lucas on some of his stuff and, mm-hmm. and saw some a nice data set where like the burrows of the Womas were close to 100 percent humidity and they're spending a lot of time in those burrows. So I'm thinking wow. I probably should be giving my Womas a humid <laughs> hide, you know, because that's what they're they made in the wild, that. you know, <laughs> like. Uh, just the things you you learn when you you know pay attention to those things and like you know and it and it you know i didn't think of the whole dew point thing that was listening to ron st pierre and just being like (laughs) light bulb you know that's (laughs) what you know you got to listen to the 
the, the guys who know what they're talking about, you know, cause they right. just, that wisdom comes out of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you gotta just keep, be there ready to catch it. <laughs> is it, is it, I mean, I think that's kind of, is it, I mean, you're the desert, uh, expert right isn't yeah. that like what those animals are typically trying That's to where do you are those yeah. little micro habitats of of yeah 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 i mean it, and stuff? It, it depends on the species too because there's some species that are just tough and like do not lose yeah. water and can mm-hmm. you know be in like under a piece of bark or something where it's just dry and you know right um, and, and they're tough as nails and there's others that you know like a gila monster everybody oh a gila monster comes from the desert so they put them in a hot terrarium with a you know layer of gravel or something you know you see them in the zoos like they're they're trying to get away from the lights as best this they sucks. can yeah. you know? <laughs> or they're hanging out in their water bowl because they live in burrows most of their life you know they're they're avoiding those hot dry temperatures down in un, underneath the the you know the soil and and where where it is humid it's probably 90 percent humid where they live and people right. like i was shocked we went on a vaccines tour of the san diego zoo mm-hmm. and they had their gila monsters in these like little little and i probably shouldn't be putting this out on a podcast but like <laughs> in this apparently this is the way people have had success breeding them is putting them in smaller drawer type you know yeah. rack systems yeah. and and they love it they that's how they breed that's how they you know get get excited for the breeding season you know so um, I think we have a mindset and sometimes we need to have those paradigm shifts to change that and think about how do I replicate, you know, and that's why getting out and herping is so important, mm-hmm. you know, looking mm-hmm. at what they do. And granted, you know, we kind of see a snapshot. I think somebody like, you know, Frank Reedy's who goes out and studies a population of Gila monsters for 30 years, you know, and he knows each one by name and where they, what hole they live in and things like that. You mm-hmm. know, so um, there's, there's different things we can do to be better acquainted with those kind of things. But yeah, that's, uh, yeah, the that's trick. the difficulty of herping Australia, right? Is because <laughs> we can't go multiple times a year. And I mean, you could, like, we'd be broke, you, you but could, yeah. yeah, but you know, especially <laughs> yeah. now it's so expensive, but, yeah. um, you know, it's like we typically go in October. So we're seeing this October snapshot and it, yeah. it, sometimes I've noticed that I, I, I have to get in my brain that it's like, you're only seeing this much, you know, you're mm-hmm. seeing this little, little bit. You know? Yeah. So, but well, I mean, you know, it's, it's something. Yeah. And that's when, you know, if that's when they're coming out and that's when they're active, maybe that's more important to see like the rest of the year, they may just be holed up somewhere. You know, yeah. that's the, the thing with pythons is they're really good at staying still for very long periods of time. You know, <laughs> like if they don't need to move, they're not going to move, move, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why would they? So, you know, they're, they're built to be uh, efficient. They're built to not feed a lot. They're built to sit in one spot and, you know, they don't need to go exercise and thing. You know, so mm-hmm. I, you know, every time I hear about, you know, exercise now, that that depends again on the species you know i know green tree pythons climb up and down you know a 30 foot tree every night and day and unless they catch something and then they sit in the top of the tree exactly. and it for a month you know so mm-hmm. it just depends on what they're doing and kind of what it, but you know they the they definitely yeah. sit still probably a lot more than they're actually moving and so that snapshot is important because we don't want to go there when they're Hold right. up yeah. underground for 10 months, you know, yeah. like we don't want to be there during that time when it's too hot and they're not moving at all. Uh, yeah. But, 
So, and you know, like, like the, uh, the ones that, you know, you, you might find them in times that you're not expecting them in the winter, they might have to come out to bask a little bit to warm mm-hmm. up, you know? So maybe kind of as, as the sun is coming out and the temperatures are, are climbing a little bit, that might be the best time, like early, early spring, you know, for mm-hmm. Gila monsters, especially in Utah, that's the only time you see them is like right when it starts to warm up as soon as it gets too hot it's very slim pickings again, right you know and, t- and especially during the hot summer you're not finding gila monsters you know you have to wait again till spring so yeah just gotcha. depends but in arizona you know they get the monsoons and so you monsters in september and you know yeah. august that's july that's when you find them because they're coming out with the rains of the monsoon season so <laughs> Just have to know the environment where you're where you're looking and what you know what kind of time to, to expect. I, that's and why that, I kind of like these uh, databases like uh, Atlas of the Living Australia to some extent because they kind of show you like when they're finding these mm-hmm. you know, when when animals are out crawling and when they're finding them. And, you know, you have to kind of balance that because people are doing scientific studies where they're doing pit traps and things, and so they might find them. Like off season, where they're because they fell in a bucket, they fell yeah. in a bucket, yeah. <laughs> or they bulldozed a tree and and pulled one out, and like, okay, we found one. Well, well, did you? Because <laughs> you, you know, really, yeah. If I took a bulldozer and went through the brush, I could find a bunch of shit. Like you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. but even then, you can do everything right, and it's just yeah. luck sometimes too. Where yep. you know, and <laughs> I would just say, don't get discouraged if you don't find it the first time, because I mean. Uh, what is it? When we were out in Arizona, we went to the habitat where uh, the clubs were, and like it was the first day we found, we we goose egged with nothing. <laughs> Next day we went back again. Like that's yeah. when you something subtle changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there and, you go. Oh man, that was wasn't that just miserable when you're not finding them because that, you're getting all those stupid stickers in your socks drying. and oh, oh, I, I threw away all the socks I had yeah, right? in Arizona you couldn't keep there's them. no point yeah oh those were the worst like yeah, yeah you're just getting them all now, now herping in in June mm. no stickers no sticks? no 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 stuff in your socks <laughs> okay. like very yeah. little it's okay. very nice yeah Rob's yeah. like go go walk through those bushes though and yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah, yeah we will come back here later yeah and those Without velcro him, things that all over your pant legs you know, <laughs> things were fun yeah so uh, yeah okay um so i guess the last thing that i would hit on is probably uh so if you're interested in morphs of inland carpets there is none in the states not a there single none. one there's there nothing are no, there are no <laughs> in the states um really uh but there are some really cool ones in um in Australia, I guess the the main one is the silver peppered yeah. inland, um, which is uh, probably yeah. one of my favorites. I, I, are I, cool I really looking. like that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I think there was, uh, I don't know if they were proven out, but there was uh, in the more complete carpet, there was the melanistic. Yeah, the that thing looks looking insane. One. And then I, I think there was a one. striped one, right? Yeah, I know I that uh, Paul had a striped one, but I don't think it uh, ever proved out. Yeah. And I imagine with like with all carpets, you know, striping is probably polygenic and you got (laughs) to refine that and try to. There's there's a striped one right here in the book. Yeah. Yeah. What page? Uh, 607. 607. Right at the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. These are what are these the kind of unproven morphs? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or unknown mode of inheritance morphs. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We do that. 
A yeah, melanistic a melanistic. Apartment. No one, no one, no one cares about the melanistic. Keep apartment. moving along. Keep moving. Next, <laughs> we're focused. This is a. This is not their episode. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then that's, there's the melanistic one. That's insane. Yeah, I don't think that one lived too long. But, I don't say it doesn't look like it's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, yep. It, its head looks kind of weird. And there's that. <laughs> it's funny. We were talking about uh, So I was talking to uh, a bunch of um, uh, like a ball python focused podcast yesterday. And I said something about like they're talking about morphs. And I said, well, you know, it's amazing, which you guys have all said this before, but it's amazing that the amount of morphs that we have, like say in ball pythons, that there's not more of them that are screwed up because basically mm. it's a broken, it's broken, <laughs> like yeah. it's, you know, genetically broken. Some you know, we have a car and we keep removing parts, and it, well, it yeah. still works. If you look at all, if you look at all the the morphs that are like everybody's trying to put into all the like the five gene animals, it's all uh-huh. the subtle ones. So yeah, I imagine yeah. that's probably why you know. Now when they're combined, they might look. A little cooler, but like, yeah, a yellow belly on its own looks like right. a normal, you know. You flip right. it over. All yeah. those, all those different, you know, kind of the what black no spot nose doesn't look very thrilling, you know. And so, I think that's telling, you know, because the ones yeah. that are more dramatic, they're probably uh, not the best to combine all the broken uh, genes together. So, yeah, we were talking uh, about the spider and the jag and it's and yeah. I was just making the uh like saying that basically the carpet python community has embraced the fact that the jag is what the jag is whereas mm-hmm. sometimes I get the vibe from the ball python community that they're still holding on the hope that you know they can they're going to make out the spider <laughs> <laughs> or there even exists, you know. They just need to do some uh, inner ear transplants and you know, <laughs> yeah, right. There's always that one guy who has living uh, super spiders, but he keeps him in his basement next to his breeding bull and eye. Yeah, there's that guy. Everybody knows that guy. Yeah. 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 The secret? Get them cold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. Anything else you want to uh, hit on for as far as inland carpets? Did, I, did we forget anything? I, 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 I don't think we spent enough time on the natural history. <laughs> Go back. I, I love yeah. the natural history. Yeah. Keep going. What else? There was a, I don't know. There was a cool observation of some uh, juveniles using like soil cracks out in some, you know. Oh, okay. Some of that. Yeah, like living down in those deep soil cracks, kind of like an inland taipan. <laughs> so um, it got, it got yeah. dry enough that they cracked and they were just kind yeah. of. That's, that's and it's and it's like they go down like quite a ways and and different mammals will live in those for you know the, while the they while they there. exist yeah. yeah so it's kind of cool after the floods everything dries out so quick that they just form these huge cracks and you know you've seen like the little puzzles out in the yeah. mud that dries yeah. out you know yeah. these are like <laughs> three or four feet down into the earth and and Jesus. so um you know that's that was kind of cool there was another population that um, hangs out in these limestone uh, cliffs and it's got mm-hmm. like all sorts of like caverns and things and they're they're pretty much hanging out in those uh, cliffs their whole whole time so you know different different uh taking advantage of different cool habitats i i kind of think that's kind of it, it's like it's like escarpment like you know just yeah. just like this is the only place where we can seek shelter so everything yeah. lives <laughs> in these deep cracks in this mm-hmm. rock and stuff like that. So, Oh man, we, yeah. we surely found out why <laughs> you don't see Owen Pelly's out in the, the daytime. <laughs> Dear we, God. Yeah. We about died. It was so hot. 
And then we like said, we need to get in the shade, you know? And so we went in one of these big cracks, you know, that goes down. There's Mm -hmm. probably some pool of water 20 feet under the surface, you know, and you can just, and it starts to get cooler and cooler. Cooler and cooler. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is not, this is nice. I can see why they're down in these cracks and not out on the surface. This is so much better. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yep. Well, yeah, yeah, I, I, I was amazed when we were in Chilgo that when we went into the caves there, just the temperature difference between outside and inside Mm -hmm. the caves. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, this is, this is how the aboriginals made it all this way in this heat because it's so hot on the outside. I I always call it air conditioning on the inside. Air conditioning. Mm -hmm. You got to find those caverns where the, where the wind's blowing through Mm -hmm. and you're like, ah, (laughs) (laughs) it's a nice, nice feeling. Uh, I'm going to say that uh, if you're following along in the more complete carpet, the um, uh, the limestone cliffs picture is on 107 uh, yeah. in the inland section. It kind of looks like it's on a big coral rock. <laughs> it's kind of yeah, like, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. it's really uh, just kind of weathered and <laughs> yeah, lots of different holes and uh, places for them to go. Pretty cool. Yeah, and from Wiggly Flat, South Australia. That's a good Australian Wiggly name. Flat. Wiggly, <laughs> Flat. <laughs> Wiggly Flat. Wiggly Flat. They make it interesting with their names, you know. Yeah, but I I am definitely obsessed with these uh, gammon type uh, carpets. Like, I really want to go out and find one. <laughs> you know, go out, <laughs> at least get out and look for them because the the environment looks really cool too. There's some really cool habitat out in that area. Um, yeah. So. Yep, 2025. That's when I'm headed out there. So get ready to save your pennies for my 50th. (laughs) We'll get a birthday cake in the middle of uh, Kimberly Kimberly 2024. I'm sorry. Yeah, Kimberly 2024 and then Gammon Rage 2025. Got it. Okay. Yeah, save it up. Save it up. Oh, I'm going to have to. (laughs) Yeah, because if we go and find a uh, Flinders Range carpet and you and I both know that that would hurt me, but you and I both know what would kill me. Okay. So, like, if no, I know what I know what your priority or your priorities are. How dare you? You <laughs> shut up, Mike. I, I just can't believe we don't have that Western Australia trip rebooked, Eric. How you've gone yeah, what's going on that? demanding an Imbricata. <laughs> I know it's because he got I, to play with the or, or no, nah, well, yeah, I was it was amazing to see one for sure, yeah. no doubt. Yeah. But like, no, uh, that's that's from not. what I've seen in the wild, the variability <laughs> yeah, uh, going to a zoo, what's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's fine to see one in captivity, but when you pull one off the <laughs> Off a uh, one of the pinnacle rocks. <laughs> That's the pinnacle yeah. of finding them. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, they're, they're, I don't know what it is about. Probably because they're unattainable for us. So yeah. it's like that. You know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm disappointed with a lot of the ones that I've seen in captive populations in Australia. They're always kind of dark and you need a lot of black. Yeah. 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 They're okay. But like what <laughs> I saw out in the wild whole or the couple that we've seen have been just phenomenal looking. And you're like, Oh man, that, why doesn't anybody have these? <laughs> you picked this US one over that? Like, yeah. What's wrong with you? I don't think they had much choice. I think that that's similar to like stuff in America, you know, Western Australian stuff outside of Western Australia is get what you get. Yeah. Yeah. Get what you get. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
I don't know. We got to go find them in the wild to enjoy the diversity and see, you know, just how cool they can be. <laughs> if we yeah. do find the ruffie, I'm going to need you guys to like turn away as I weep like a small girl. Like, you know, I have, this, like, <laughs> so. I have this idea too that um, like in Western Australia is going to be like, so like I did like the East Coast, obviously, because that's mm-hmm. kind of carpet python central. And I mm-hmm. thought it was great. And I love the, yeah. you know, the rainforest and all that. But then the Northern Territory for me was like, oh, this is this is it. This is the stuff, <laughs> yeah. you know. And then I would imagine if I go to Western Australia, I'd be like, ah, I never want to go this out that way ever again. <laughs> There's a reason why I did a trip to the East Coast, a trip to the center, and then three trips to the, you know, two, yeah, two West, trips to yeah, the Western. Uh, uh, yeah, Western Australia is hard to beat. It's very and it, cool. And it's so big. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got to you know? drive quite a bit to get, yeah, the different yeah. high points, I guess. But. Got to be back there. Yeah. 100%. That's a cool 100%. spot. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know, anything else? I think I think we uh, we kind of did it. Inland Carpets, they are uh, the underdog, you know. Uh, check them out. Uh, you should definitely pick up the uh, more complete carpet python. Um do you have copies still available, Justin? That they can I'm, hit you up. My my, uh, my supplies are dwindling. I have like one case and maybe a couple more books beyond that. I sent a couple out today and uh, one or two out last week. But yeah, my, my supply. Any, I need to any, make another trip down to Bob's. So I'll say any word on a second print or or <laughs> I don't are, know. Yeah, we're we, going through these pretty quick. So uh, yeah, both Nick and I are um, you know have sold sold the copies we got pretty quickly and. Um, I don't know. I thought I heard Nick say something about half the print runs about gone. So that's it, not is, a bad problem to have. But yeah, that's mm-hmm. that went a little quicker than anticipated. It really isn't. But this is something better get people, them now before they're yeah. eight hundred and fifty. <laughs> say jump on them now because <laughs> when they stop printing them, the second they're like not printing these anymore, they start adding zeros to this shit, yeah. and it's like no. So yeah, well, I'm curious if if Bob will do another print run if we sell out, you know, in a couple of years or something, or, or less than a couple of years. We'll see. I don't know. Oh, man. It, to, I think I think uh, I think both have done better than some of the other books I've seen. Where it's like four dollars, get this out of my store. Like it's yeah. like okay, <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah. I guess you can do in quantity or you know, <laughs> yeah. which is you know it's fine too. I, I'm glad for books that are cheap and you know. So am I. It's how the things got back. Easier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely uh, uh uh, an awesome book. So if they wanted to get it, they just go to your website, right? Uh, sure. Yeah. And, yeah. Sh- and shoot me an email and I can work it out with range uh, to ship you one. Shipped them all over the world. Yeah. We've, I've shipped probably what 75 books over to Japan and wow. <laughs> yeah. About, really? about that or maybe yeah. more than that to Australia. And yeah. The, the other question is um, the, 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 the beautiful poster that we have back here is that something else that is potentially <laughs> yeah, orderable or is it definitely. or is that gone now no you can find it also on my website the, right. the, the uh, carpet I, python poster that's kind of the companion to the second edition the visual <laughs> aid <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no i did get this cool painting well it's a poster uh, but it's yeah. a post it's a carpet python and a lace monitor. Oh, wow. I don't think that lace monitor is being very nice to the carpet python. <laughs> no, now I'm 100% okay. sure it's not. Yeah. Mm. Who did that? That's pretty That's cool. awesome. I haven't seen that one before. 
Um, I found it on where did I find it? The sky's uh, kind of Etsy, tricky. I think. Etsy. My wife got it for me. That's cool. Um, yeah, yeah. There was this uh, woman that did all these cool, like uh, Central Australia paintings with like parentes and stuff cool. like that, and it was it was really cool artwork. But I don't know that you can get those anymore. It kind of that kind of reminds me of a similar thing. You can you know look up parenti art or something and find those uh, pictures of them. But she had like a book or something. So, no. Oh, really? Kind of interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, cool. Uh, great. Cool now stuff. we're art collectors. collectors, <laughs> yeah. collectors. yeah, the, the well, carpet python poster you can find on my website as well. Uh, yeah, I, I was trying to explain <laughs> the breakdown to some people. I'm like, screw it. Hang on. I took a picture and I just sent it to them. Like, here, that that's yeah. where we're at now. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's got the controversial uh, adjusting of the range maps. And well, yeah. Um, if, if I bring you uh, a bunch of sharpies, do you want to like change it in my book? Just kind of. <laughs> That is where, this is where I put the line. <laughs> I want it here. That like, could change, you know. Yeah, I better use it two years from now or something. Yeah, again. yeah exactly. <laughs> Those um, kind of things are, yeah, interesting. As we, as we get more information, you know, and that's the the thing. I think in this age of technology and information exchange, you know, we can get more and more. Like I was just looking on the. Um, ALA or, or even iNaturalist, you know, you, mm-hmm. people make real-time observations. So you go in a couple months after you've, you know, digested all the information, there's new information and, you know, oh, we found this one here and it looks mm-hmm. like this type or whatever. Yeah, it's kind of fun. <laughs> I, it's I fun, know. but, you know. Yeah. Since we have you here, it has nothing to do with inland carpets, but mm-hmm. what's your thoughts on the new species of leaftail gecko? Oh yeah, very cool. Like I would not have yeah. expected it to come from an island. That was pretty <laughs> yeah, right. neat, neat finding. Yeah, like man, they're just uh, just all over there. But yeah, it's it's kind of a fun fun uh, little uh, evolutionary lesson, I guess. You know where they've kind of been stranded, and they just have these tiny little ranges that include maybe a couple mountain tops and. Then you know that's a different species than the one on the mountaintop to the south and the that's mountaintop so cool. to the north. Yeah, that one up further, like that's far up in Cape York. That it's really spindly looking. There, that one was yeah. recent, like a, maybe a few years ago, was described. That thing was cool. I need to learn their scientific names better. They just keep dis- discovering new species and <laughs> splitting other ones up. And you're yeah. like, I don't remember. There's like 20 of them now. <laughs> yeah. But very we cool. Thought, we, we thought we had it bad. They're like, you know, <laughs> they keep splitting and then adding more. It's like, stop. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. Except for the Antaresia. Just on a side note, Justin, uh, you do have fans out there, right? So there's this uh, local uh, reptile shop that opened up in my not too far from me and uh-huh. um I, I think i talked about this on one of the podcasts but anyway i'm driving by there. there's a sign that says reptiles so, so he cuts I, across I, my, three lanes of traffic to get to <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I wanted i wanted to stop in there but my sister and my dad made it before i did and then matt yeah. minatola went and he stopped in so finally i'm like well what the hell man i'm telling everybody about this but i didn't yeah. go in there so i'm i'm talking to the one guy and he's like a He's like a field herping nut, right? Oh, cool. and, um, he loves the desert, right? Yeah. And yeah. he's talking about all these trips he did to Utah and Arizona and all this stuff. So uh, somehow we got on the – so he's showing me around his, his place and whatnot, and he has these leaftail geckos, and oh, he's cool. talking about these leaftail geckos and whatnot. And he has uh, – he also had um, knobtail geckos. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I said uh, – 
a friend of mine, and he he wrote the complete knob tail. Oh wait, who? Justin? Justin <laughs> Julander? And I was like, yeah, we go herping with him out. Oh my god, you've touched <laughs> Justin Julander? I mean, not, oh not um, in some ways, <laughs> maybe, but yeah, yeah. Um, I just so, don't. I, he shouldn't meet me in real life because I'm sure I'd be disappointed. <laughs> you never meet your heroes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of a poser in a lot of ways, right? <laughs> I just thought, wow, what a small world, you know? I, I have to. <laughs> I was going through – I have to do this talk at this local herpetological society. I'm going through the pictures, and I have the one of you, like, halfway climbing up a wall. And I'm like, how can I put this in the presentation? Like, I just want to put <laughs> just put Justin here randomly. Like, yeah, there's some guy climbing up a rock. Like, yeah. So, yeah, that was the so same if you ever feel down that. in the dumps, yeah. you got people out there to love you. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I've got that oh, imposter syndrome. You know, I think about like herping Utah, man. I like my buddy finding all those uh, milks and, and mm. ringnecks on a single day. I'm like, I haven't found any in Utah. Like, I, I probably herped more Australia than Utah. Like, what's, what's wrong with me? I need to herp yeah. my backyard more often. Well, that was the, uh, um, was sitting, it was last year around my birthday. I'm like, I need somebody to come and show me where to find a copperhead. I have never found a copperhead in Pennsylvania. Yeah. I've been to Australia, never found a copperhead. In you found an old telly python. You've not gotten a copperhead. <laughs> yeah. Went to the yep. right spot, found four of them, and I'm like, done. Like, and now I can go home. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you did find them? Yeah, I got like four or five of them in that one spot. Oh, okay. Like, okay. there I were. Need to- there were three of them crammed into a log, and I'm like, "Well, this is quick, all right." <laughs> Got to go to the Copperhead Park, man. Yeah. There's a park. I'm telling yeah. you, there's signs everywhere. It says Copperheads beware! Don't put your hands on the rocks. All this don't stuff. touch They're things. Everywhere. Yeah, yeah we, need, we need to chat offline about because I'm I'm coming out to I need yes! to make it out to yeah, man, Carpet Fest and. <laughs> we, and I've got to include some herping so I can justify it, you know. Yeah. It's business business. <laughs> exactly. Research. Yeah, yeah I, I won't even okay. say, like, I was looking, I'm doing my taxes and I'm just like, oh man, I spent a lot on herp trips last year. <laughs> oh God, I'm going to get <laughs> all thing to spend like... them on, I tell you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. It's been a bad um, influence. Carpet <laughs> Fest will be fun. It's yeah, gearing I'm up excited. like it's going to be a thing. I should sit down and actually do like the official announcements because I think we keep doing a bunch of unofficial announcements. And <laughs> yeah, you um, probably should. Yeah, I'll do that this week. Okay, maybe you said that last week. So. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got to. I got to buy that plane ticket. Get yeah, out. There. Yeah. You know, I if will. you see cheap tickets. <laughs> yeah. So I'm thinking. I'm thinking that uh, we'll have to talk about this, but I'm thinking yeah. of a way that we can do it so that we can get some some solid herping in. I, yeah. I think maybe. Uh, yeah. And we got some, we got some spots that, you know, well, you know, hopefully (laughs) they haven't, they haven't disappointed yet, but, uh, you know, of course, we'll be the time to give the guarantee. (laughs) (laughs) Not a single timber. Yeah. Yeah. Timbers everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Um, But yeah, all good. Well, uh, Thanks for coming and uh, talking Inlands with us. Uh, uh, much appreciated. Best and, thing yeah. to talk about. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thanks and, for having uh, People, well, I guess at this point, people know Reptile Fight Club. Australian I mean, at this reptiles. point, they should. Otherwise, it's a fight club. <laughs> I hope club they do. I don't, I'm not very great at getting the word out. But, you know. 
I just kind of ride your coattails. Like, oh, if they listen to you guys, maybe they'll listen to us. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We're just because we did it too long. We're just in there by default. Well, that was the like. You guys actually know what you're talking about. Exactly. You guys, you guys keep actually bringing up normal, good topics. We just yell about the same things at a higher volume. But um, no, I did like the show on the uh, on the just on a side note the. Mm the uh selling large reptiles in pet shops oh yeah so, yeah that was, that was fun, fun. I, I really like talking to mitchell he's a cool guy yeah yeah that's a weird yeah. question like that that's so weird that you just brought that up because i just got tagged in this stuff on facebook where some random person in new jersey is trying to find a house or a home for a quote-unquote very large snake and they won't <laughs> specify what, what it, it is, is and how large it is and it's yeah. like well what are we looking at here so it's like Owen's you know, thinking Kribo? Kribo? I, <laughs> can I use this? What do you there have? You go. What do you got? Berm, retic, boa. Like, what do we got? And it's going to yeah. be a large corn snake. Like, I like how, what is <laughs> yeah. large to this person? Six is and what a half we're going on. Corn. But it's like, it, it's weird. Yeah. It's weird because we were talking before the show about that alligator they found too. It's like, yeah. you know. And we police our own my ass. Anyway, oh, did so. you guys see the the Omaha, um, the Henry Dorley Zoo? They bred uh, Parentes. Yes. Oh. No. Yes. Yeah. Um, Matt, uh, oh, what's his last name? Um, he bred. Uh, I think he got seven or eight to hatch out. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, they look I, great. I'm not sure if like I know they got some animals from Dallas Zoo, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, they they got eggs and hatched the majority of them out and it's uh, matt teaching um, it's only a matter of time now <laughs> Just, yeah. oh god I, I would i don't know i think i'd kick out one of my kids and <laughs> have their room be a parenti cage dad what are you doing you knew this was coming now get out no, I'm sorry. <laughs> i think this, this is why room. i like comes a like time Kimberly you so stand much. on your own yeah. <laughs> the kimberly rocks are kind of like tiny little parentis <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah, they, they yeah. sort of had that same kind of head structure and stuff, you know, yeah. not as cool as a parenti. I, I, I I'll grant you that. <laughs> uh, yes. But. Yeah. It's hard to beat a parenti, but yeah, the Kimberly's come close. I, I need to work with those someday. I just never pulled the trigger there. I'm just, I don't know. I always trick myself into thinking I can handle, you know, monitors. Again. And then I'm like, uh, I'm just kind of limping them along. I'm just, I need to, do, <laughs> I need to be retired or something. So I have more time, but <laughs> Uh, yeah, but oh man, Parenti. Seeing those baby Parentis, I when uh, Terry Phillip hatched those out mm-hmm. at Reptile Gardens, I drove up there just to see a hatchling Parenti. Oh, did you? That's awesome. Oh, yeah. It was I, so great. Yeah. To just uh, stare at that thing, and yeah, it was pretty cool. So, yeah, awesome. I did get to hold the Parenti that sired the babies. I think that they're they have a big male Parenti at the Henry Dorley Zoo, and. Matt took us kind of behind the scenes and he reached in, picked it up, handed it to me. I'm like, oh, sweet. Oh, cool. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, it's pretty cool. Chalk that bucket list. Thing. Yeah, nice. <laughs> How was it? What was the, what was it, what was the temperament like? What was it? He was, was pretty chill. Like, yeah, he wasn't yeah. too concerned. He was a, he's a tripod, so he's missing a back leg. Oh, ah, yeah. Gotcha. He's out, he's out on exhibit and, and was doing great, you know, getting around on, on his stump. But yeah, very cool lizard. <laughs> yeah, that, that zoo is, I mean, that's such a great collection there. If you haven't been to Henry Dorley in Omaha, I'd mm. highly recommend it. It's a very cool zoo. 
Yeah. yeah. And that area, like, I don't know, I need to do this someday. I had a sister that lived out in Kansas, but I've heard like Kansas at the right time of year is like herper Mecca. Like there's just, you know, you really rocks, you flipping rocks and there's like four or five milks under each rock, you know, like Jesus. you just, you, you, you see like 60 snakes in a day kind of thing. Like it's just crazy oh, wow. at certain times of year. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because it's a lot of private land, I guess, just like anywhere mm-hmm. <laughs> in the East. But uh, yeah, you can yeah. see a lot of cool stuff out there. So I need to do that someday. Maybe we'll have to put a bug in old Rob's ear and get him on that. Just start mentioning it. Just start talking yeah, yes. about like all the cool yeah, things that might be out there. You'll be great Kansas. Kansas. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't think Kansas. You wouldn't think Kansas with a ton of herps. Yeah, but a lot next, of people. When you guys are herping Utah, just like scroll Kansas through your phone. Kansas City, like, Man, look at all the snakes <laughs> they're finding out in Kansas. Like, yeah. <laughs> but we could, I'm sure we could kind of loop into, you know, Omaha and check out the zoo while we're there. But yeah, that's one I, yeah. I really have enjoyed. Cool. Cool. All right. Uh, Owen, you want to say this stuff? and I will say the stuff and the things. Um, so for us, it's uh, net dot com dot whatever nobody can uh, get this right shut up <laughs> <laughs> you can go on to the teespring store you can now it's too late i'm rolling just let it happen um we can also go and join the patreon uh we're gonna have some cool stuff out in the patreon soon uh also go give us a like and a we follow. uploaded the first one today carpet cool. python diaries yep. so yeah Oh, I didn't um, even show it to you, Owen. You didn't. You just kind of do things so that I, I'm just listen. <laughs> listen, we all know that I'm just a plucky comic yeah, relief. Yeah, I mean, I don't yes. have no say when the ship goes. So yeah. um, also you can uh, go and give a like and a follow over to the YouTube channel. Check out that stuff. We've been putting out some small reels. I went through all the videos on my phone from the Arizona trip I took with uh, – Justin, so I'm going to send those over to Eric so you can get them all on to uh, the little small little reels and stuff like that. Um, like I, I think I might even have some drone footage that Justin oh, sent cool. me. Yeah, so <laughs> I have to double check. But yeah. um, uh, those will probably be out sometime soon. Uh, also, like we said, Carpet Fest, Northeast Carpet Fest is going to be August 12th and will be at Eric's house, which is Warminster, Pennsylvania. If you're looking for all that stuff, I will put out the official announcement this week, which will tell you where you can find hotel rooms, how long we're running it to, and the rules. The rules are very important. So please <laughs> listen and look at the rules. Damn it. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, that's all I think we have for you guys this week. Uh, we'll catch everybody next week for some more Rally Python Radio.